Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. Last week, we began a new series here called Restart, and we've been talking about change in our lives, really. And so this is a time of year where oftentimes we are focused on change. It's the start of a new year. And so maybe how's your New Year's resolution going? Has it made it into week two of the new year? Or have you decided to drop it and ditch it all the way and say, no, no, I didn't make one at all? Because sometimes our resolutions, they're difficult to stick to because of the simple fact that change is hard. It's hard for us to see changes happen or to make changes even when we know. And the reason for that that we talked about last week is that tension is at the heart of every change. No matter what it is that we want to change or we want to see happen, we're stuck in this tension point between this is where we are and this is kind of the momentum our life is on. And then over here is the path that maybe we want to be on or this is the change we want to make towards being more healthy or whatever it is that we want us to move towards. We're stuck in a tension point between the two where we naturally want to stay where we are, but then we also know, hey, I want to become this. There's a tension drawing us towards that. But when it comes to change, when it comes to making any sort of a difference in our lives, there's a little simple truth that a lot of psychologists and a lot of different authors have pointed out and looked at, and it's this little bit. It says that we only change when we learn enough or we hurt enough. So either we learn enough to say that this is where we're going to go, or When I say we hurt enough, it means that the pain of going through a change process is less than the pain of staying where we are. So when you sit in your doctor's office and your doctor says, hey, your numbers are going in the wrong direction, you got to change your eating habits, suddenly the pain associated with not changing is greater than the pain of, yeah, I'm going to change my eating habits and I'm going to get more exercise, I'm going to do something healthier. And so we often have to come to this point of saying, well, what are we going to do to change? And so last week, we dug into the idea of what does it mean to start or restart our faith? For some of us, maybe we're exploring the idea of a relationship with Jesus for the first time. Or maybe you've walked with God for a long time, and and it's this point of saying, well, hey, sometimes why don't we, you know, peel back the layers a little bit. Let's look at what's at the foundation of our faith. Is there something that God's been doing that he wants to lead us towards? And sometimes that takes a restart moment. And so what we're talking about today is another place where we might want to start or restart something. And that is in the area of purpose. Where do we find our purpose? Where do we find our meaning? Where do we find our fulfillment? Where do we find what we're working towards in our life? And so we're going to spend some time today looking at this whole topic of purpose. Where do we find purpose? Where do we find meaning? And is this something that maybe it's a a choice to start or maybe it's a choice to restart, to reboot this area of purpose? But to begin, we're going to go to a passage we ended with last week. And this is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. And if you know anything about the Corinthian church, probably what you know is their church was a mess. Their church had a lot of issues, had a lot of problems. And Paul kept having to write letters to them to correct and settle their issues. To be honest, the church of Corinth makes any church look good in comparison when you look at the stuff that Paul had to deal with with the church of Corinth. But when he wrote his letters, the first half would be like correcting their issue. And then he would dive into teaching and he'd say, but this is how I want you to live. This is what it means if we can get away from those issues. And Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. He says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. See, this is what awaits 
any of us in a relationship with Jesus, that God wants to make us new. He doesn't want to leave us where we are. He wants to take us on a journey towards what he has created us to be. And Paul does something unique with the grammar here because this is both like God is making you new and then there's an active verb that's also in the original language of saying that this is a constantly being made new. This new life isn't just a one-time thing. This is being made new and then continually made new and moving forward. But there's a question that always comes to my mind when I read a passage like this. And it's, why was this so important to Paul? Why did he spend so much time talking about this? Because he brings up this topic in his other letters as well. He keeps talking about this new life we have in Christ. So what does this new creation, what does this lead to? And to kind of answer that and explore that together today, we're going to look at Paul's own story. We're going to look at his journey from when he first appears in Scripture and kind of look what was happening in his life at the beginning, but we're going to start a little before that. We're going to start about two years before Paul first appears in Scripture. Because about two years before that was the time period when Jesus was put on trial. Because when Jesus came and he started to teach and he started to talk about this is what a relationship with God really is, he upset the established order. The religious leaders of the day didn't like Jesus because they couldn't control what he was saying. And so as Jesus was teaching and building this following and telling people about this is what God really wants, this is what he wants is a relationship with you. The religious leaders had kind of one catch-all solution for that kind of problem. The answer was you kill the guy. And so they found a way to pin charges against Jesus. They found people that would lie on their behalf to try and make these charges stick. And they got the people so riled up that Pilate, the governor of the time, was so worried of a riot happening that he's like, well, fine, I'll give them what they want. We'll kill this guy named Jesus. And so they execute him, they hang him on a cross, they bury him, and the religious leaders think, hey, that's it, we won. But they didn't. See, Jesus comes back and he starts appearing to his followers and he starts teaching them. And this movement starts growing. See, the death and resurrection of Jesus actually ushered in a new era of God's kingdom into the world. They thought they were ending the problem. They actually did exactly what God wanted to happen to bring about his new kingdom. And so about two years after this, the church has mostly stayed in Jerusalem. That's where all the apostles are. And what happens is these religious leaders are getting desperate. They want this movement that at the time was just known as the way. They wanted this movement of people that professed that Jesus is Lord to disappear. And so they started to persecute them. And the first person that is recorded in scripture as losing their life for their faith after Jesus is a guy named Stephen. And it's recorded in the book of Acts. Now the book of Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. It follows the four gospels that are the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. And one of the gospel writers, Luke, writes this second book called Acts. And it's really like part one and part two. And he writes it to tell us the story of what's happening in the early church. And so it's a, a narrative of what transpired and what happened. And at this time period, when Stephen gets executed for his faith, this guy named Saul shows up. And this is what it says in Acts 8, verse 1. It says, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. 
Now, when Paul first shows up, he had a different name. His name was Saul. And Saul's job was to be a persecutor. His job at this point was to go and make life so difficult for these Christians that they would renounce their faith because they were so worried that this movement would grow and it would overthrow and upset the way that society was ordered. And the problem with when society gets upset is Rome steps in and wants to basically restore order by force. And so they're scared of Rome. They're scared of this new movement. And so they start persecuting the Christians and Saul is one of them. And it goes on and Luke paints this really pretty picture of Saul. He says, Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging both men and women to throw them into prison. So this is Saul's job. And so when this happens, this great wave of persecution starts in Jerusalem And what do you think happens? Does the church stumble and fall apart? No, in fact, the exact opposite happens because then Luke tells us, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. So all these early Christians, except for the apostles, start to flee from Jerusalem and they think this is going to end it, but it actually spreads it and they start telling more and more people about Jesus. And the message of Jesus starts just starts to grow and expand because instead of disappearing, Jesus' followers were empowered by the Holy Spirit and the church began to grow exponentially. See, this is exactly what God does. God takes a human decision. He takes something that we would look at as objectively bad and he turns it into something good for the kingdom. This is how God redeems all circumstances. What God does, this is his nature. This is starting to hint towards that new creation that Paul writes about later on in his life. That we see this time and time again, that God takes what is for bad and he turns it around into what's for good. And so if we skip a little bit ahead, Saul pops up again in Acts 9. And it says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, eager to kill the Lord's followers. And so what Saul did is he went to the high priest of Jerusalem and he got these letters of introduction. They were letters from the high priest to the leaders of the synagogues in Damascus saying, this guy is Paul and when he shows up, you help him in his task to eradicate the Christians. And so Saul takes this group of people with him and they start traveling to Damascus because this is a center where there's these people following Jesus. And as he's approaching Damascus, something happens. And so Acts 9, verse 3, gets into this. It says, As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is out of Saul's frame of reference. He has no idea how to comprehend or understand this. So he says in his reply is, Who are you, Lord? Now it's a lowercase l, Lord, in the Greek that... that Saul, uh, that Luke is writing for later on. Uh, This is kind of more like just like, who are you, sir? This is just kind of a sign of respect because he doesn't know what's happening this moment. And the voice replies, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So the men around Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they didn't see anyone. And Saul picks himself up off the ground, but when he opens his eyes, he is blind. He cannot see. And so his companions lead him by the hand to Damascus. And he remained there blind for three days where he did not eat and he did not drink. See, Saul is in this unfamiliar city 
staying in someone's house. He's blind. He doesn't know what happened. He's trying to comprehend what happened. And I think this is brilliant on God's part to take his sight away. Because what it does is it makes Saul utterly dependent upon his friends. It means that Saul is stuck sitting there wondering, what do I do? See, if he didn't have his sight taken away, maybe he could have just dismissed it and been like, I don't know what that was, but you know, I got my mission. I got my orders from the high priest. I'm going to carry them out. But because his sight was taken away, he has to stop. He has to pause. He is stuck in this moment. So what do we do when we're stuck and we have to wait for direction? What do we do when we're, when we're waiting, when we're trying to figure out what is next? See, oftentimes what I think, and maybe this is just me, maybe you're more disciplined than I am, but we often turn to distractions and entertainment to ease the boredom of waiting. I mean, think about the last time you were like, had to wait at a doctor's office or a dentist's office, or you're waiting for an appointment. You know, we naturally just pull out our phone and scroll through social media, or you find something to do just to distract ourselves. Saul didn't have that luxury. He was stuck, blind, not knowing what to do, And he knew that there would be instructions coming to him. But he was forced to be bored for three days to reflect on this encounter with Jesus. He was stuck in this moment. What do I do now? But God is always doing more than what we see on the surface level. Because a couple verses down, Luke tells us this. He says, now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to Ananias in a vision. He said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. And so God gives Ananias this vision, says, here's your instructions. Go find this guy named Saul, lay hands on him. That means put your hands on him and pray for him so that he will be able to see again. Now, Ananias... uh, we can understand his response. He says, but Lord, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. He says, I don't want to go to this guy. I know his reputation. He has come here to persecute people like me. And you want me to go pray for him, put my hands on him, and he's going to get his sight back? No, no, we've, we've just like neutralized him. He's blind. We should leave him blind, shouldn't we? That would be Ananias. That would be like the human response, right? Why would we take this guy that has been trying to kill us and why would we give him his sight back? Why would we pray for him? But the Lord says this, and this is where I want to dwell on for a moment. He says, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles, to kings, as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him just how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So this is the message that God gives to Ananias to then take and give to Saul. Now, when he says, my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles, a Gentile was anyone who wasn't Jewish. So basically all all of us would be considered Gentiles if we were alive back then. And to kings, these are the rulers, the people that are in positions of authority and power. And he says, as well to the people of Israel, that means the Jewish people as well. See, Paul is, Saul is going to be this messenger for a reason. And this last part, I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for my namesake. We're going to come back to that in the end. So we're, just pause your question on that. What does that mean? We're going to come back to that. So Ananias does what God tells him to do. 
He goes and he finds Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. So Saul, after spending three days in boredom, in blindness, in questioning, in wondering, did that really happen? Well, yes, it must have because I'm still blind. Like all these questions that would have been going through his mind. He gets told, you're going to get instructions. And then this guy he's never met or heard of or seen of before, he gets a vision that he's going to come pray for him. And so Ananias shows up, tells him the things that God has told him. And Saul chooses, when he's prayed for, he gets his vision back. He chooses to be baptized. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He regains his strength. So now Saul has other questions. What do I do now? I can't just pull these letters out of my back pocket and go back to persecuting Christians because now I know the truth. Now I know that this Jesus, this what we think is a false Messiah, is really the true Messiah, that this really is God doing something in the world. What do I do now? See, Saul was changed by his encounter with Jesus. And his transformation led to a new purpose in his life. Remember what he was told. He would go and preach to Gentiles, to rulers, to the people of Israel. He knew that he had this task ahead of him of what he was going to do for Jesus. So now if we go back to his letter to the Corinthian church, a letter that he writes a couple decades later, one of the letters he writes when he's in prison, he writes to them and he says this when he, said, when he talks about how Christ has changed us. He says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. It changes that verse a bit, doesn't it? Knowing the change that Saul has had in his life. Knowing the change that happened. In fact, the change was so great that later on in the book of Acts, he chooses to take a new name because I think his reputation as Saul kind of carried with him too long. And so he starts going by the name Paul. And everyone says, yeah, we're going we're gonna to recognize that your life has changed so much. Your name doesn't suit you anymore. And they start to call him Paul. And so Paul carries on when he writes this letter to the Corinthian church. He says, an old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. See, the new creation, being made new in Christ, leads to a new purpose. The new creation, Saul's life being transformed by his encounter with Jesus, leads to a new purpose. And he describes it in Corinthians of saying, we all share that purpose of being ambassadors for Christ. We share that responsibility. We share that purpose, that meaning, that fulfillment, that task of saying, how are we revealing God to others? But there's an order in this, and there's an order that sometimes we want to turn around, but there's an order to what Paul is saying. He says, living as a new creation in Christ has to happen before we live in the new purpose he gives us. See, if we dive straight to the new purpose, if Saul immediately 
Well, he did immediately get up and preach, but if he went up to go and preach before he was filled in the Holy Spirit, do you think his preaching would have been as effective? No, he needed that transformation, that encounter to happen first. Now, there's no time rule on how long that takes. It's different for each one of us. But we need to be living in that new creation before we're able to accept the new purpose that God has for us. And so I want to I give us a moment to take a, take a moment and think about something. And this is not a nudge your neighbor moment. This isn't a stick up your hands. This is just, just think internally. This is a personal evaluation moment. Do I see myself as a new creation in Christ? Do I see myself as a new creation in Christ? Do I see what Christ has done in me? Or maybe there's a different way of looking at this too. Do I see myself as loved by God? We sang about that this morning already. But do we see it clearly? Or do sometimes, do we have that voice in the back of our head that says, no, no, God loves other people. He doesn't love me. No, do I see myself as loved by God? Do I hunger for more of Jesus in my life? Do I hunger to know more about who Jesus is, the way he taught, the way he lives within us and in us today? And one more, do we desire the filling of the Holy Spirit? Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit as one who would be with us and then within us. And Paul wrote constantly about how the Holy Spirit wants to be with us, guiding us, leading us, shaping our lives. See, that's why that new creation is not just once and done. It's continually the new creation working in us, reshaping us. See, I didn't ask, are you effective at being Christ's ambassador? Because if we ask that question, we push ourselves down a different track. We push ourselves into a track where our worth is determined by what we do. But what Paul writes about and what these questions lead us to is our worth is determined by who God says we are. And God's scripture is so clear time and time again that we are children of God, that he created us for purpose. He created us because he wants to be in a relationship with us. He created us out of love, not out of task, not out of go do this. He created us out of the desire for us to see and be the creation that God wants us to be. See, your purpose to reveal Jesus flows naturally from a transformed life. We can try to do it on our own strength, but we're going to fail. We're going to burn ourselves out. We're going to get exhausted. We're going to be tired. We're not going to be able to keep doing. If Saul tried to do everything he did out of his own strength, well, book Acts would have been a lot shorter. (laughs) But living in your purpose finding that piece of purpose of what has God created us to be, to reveal his love, to reveal his nature to the world, something the church is still doing 2,000 years later. We're still working at this because we believe it to our core. Living in your purpose doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy. And I'm talking broad, overarching purpose on this. I actually can't tell you what your individual purpose is. There is no book of the Bible that will tell you, hey, Brian, in 2020, this is what you're supposed to do. We don't actually have that written in Scripture, but what we do have is the Holy Spirit leading us. And so we can spend time in Scripture, and as we dive into being a child of God, as we dive into being loved by God, as we dive into having a hunger for Jesus and having a filling of the Holy Spirit, we start to see direction and guidance that fits within this broader purpose that Saul wrote about that Paul talked about, of being Christ's ambassadors. 
But it's not always going to be easy. In fact, let's go back to that verse we we skipped over before. The Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he will suffer for my name's sake. See, I actually think this is brilliant that God tells Saul this. He tells him straight off the bat, this is going to be harder than anything you've ever done. And it was. Saul was repeatedly arrested, jailed, beaten, put under long-term imprisonment. There were multiple assassination attempts on his life. Eventually, as he's put under arrest, he realizes, wait, I can use this for God because I'm a Roman citizen. I can appeal my case to Caesar, and now it's on, on the Roman ruler's dime to get me to Rome because I want to go and encourage the church of Rome. And so he even manipulates the situation for good as he is arrested. It's brilliant what Paul does. But eventually, the book of Acts ends while Paul is still alive. And our church tradition tells us that Paul eventually was martyred. He was killed for his faith. But he was told right off the bat that he, his life would have suffering. But in that suffering, there would be meaning. And this is what God does time and time again as he meets us in our suffering and shows meaning and shows love and shows care. See, Paul endured all his suffering because he knew the purpose was worth it. He knew the promises that God had made to him. He knew that his task wasn't done. And so even when he was being beaten and arrested, he knew, well, this isn't going to be the end of me because I haven't made it to Rome yet. He knew that he was going to make it through whatever he was facing. See, he relied on one of the promises that is so core and so foundational. It's a promise that we need to keep coming back to time and time again to remind ourselves Because after Jesus rose from the grave, he told his disciples where to go to meet with him. And he met with them multiple times. And one of the times he met with his disciples, he gave them what we call the Great Commission. He gave them this tasking of saying, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey my commands and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He tells his disciples, here's what to do. And then he gives a promise. He says, I will always be with you. He says, be sure of this. I am with you always, even till the end of the age. We are still here. This promise is still valid. Jesus is with us. He is always with us. And that's what Paul knew that endured him through every suffering. That endured him to see his purpose become real. See, for us today, when we look at Saul's story, we can read, you can read the book of Acts in in an hour. You could read Saul's whole story in less time than that. What we don't see is that that story spans somewhere around four to six decades. When we read scripture, we read it quickly and we think, oh, all this happened so quickly, but it didn't. It happened slowly, it unfolded over time. But what Paul was able to do because of the Holy Spirit empowering him, because of this purpose that had been given him, because he accepted and he adopted and he took on that purpose and lived within it. He planted churches wherever he went. He led countless people to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a reason why we still go back to his writings time and time again. 
because he was being led by the Holy Spirit as he wrote these letters to churches that we now read and we can still learn from and see because the Holy Spirit keeps illuminating and revealing what Paul meant. God keeps speaking even today through his scriptures and through the Holy Spirit. So when it comes to restarting our purpose, when it comes to saying, where do we choose to find fulfillment in our lives? The biggest peace has been given to us. Our purpose, for those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus with our lives, is to reveal Jesus to others. But I don't want you to ask, am I effective at that? I want just to ask those questions I said before. Am I, do I see myself as a child of God? Am I seeking Christ? Am I seeking the Holy Spirit? Because those are the questions that lead us into the fullness of who God is. And when it comes to our individual purposes, when it comes to how specifically am I going to live that out, well, that's where it's open. That's where we get to do the hard work of discernment. That's where we get to do the hard work of soul searching. Now, I don't want you to go blind, but maybe you need to take some time to dig into that. And maybe it's not going to be all at once, but maybe it's over the process. Maybe it's over this year. Maybe it's over the next couple months of spending time of saying, how has God wired me? How did God uniquely create me? What are the gifts? What are the talents? What are the skills? What are the abilities? What are the things that God has given to me that I can use to help people see the light and the life of Christ? Because those are the questions that lead us to restarting our purpose. Let me take a moment. Let's pray together about this. God, thank you that you, you had the greatest purpose of all because your purpose was to reveal yourself to us, to make way a new path for us to come into a relationship with you. And so in this room, wherever we are, whether we feel distant from you or near to you or somewhere in between, or, or maybe we felt close to you, but now we feel distant, God, we can rest in the knowledge that you are still calling us to you. And that as we draw nearer to you, out of the overflow of that, we get to share your love with others. And so God, I pray that each one of us would get to feel the joy that comes with sharing your love with someone else. I pray that each one of us would have that experience this year, even this month, to have the joy of seeing your light and your love spreading through our world, through our community, through our friendships, through our neighbors, through our coworkers, because we know you are trying to call everyone back to yourself. And so, Lord, would we be able to do that well? Would we accept this purpose? Would we lean into it? Would we dig into it? And, Lord, would we be able to walk with you every day? In your name we pray. Amen. Folks, next week, we have one more chunk of our lives that we're going to look at restarting. And so I hope to see you here next Sunday at 11. We hope this message helped you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. You can find out more about us by going to mygrandvalley.ca.